Hello, Bettys. Welcome to the show. Before we get to our guest today, I just wanted to let you know that we have such an epic list of guests coming up in March. We are talking about menopause. We're talking about autoimmunity. We're talking about muscle building. We're talking about recovery practices. And I don't want you to miss any of it. Even if you are listening to the podcast, you may not necessarily be subscribed. So you're going to have to manually go into your podcast app and press play. I would love for you to hit that subscribe button so that you are getting the podcast as they are released. It's going to make me oh so happy to know that you are a subscriber of the pod. You are officially a Betty in the Bettyverse. And of course, you are never going to miss an episode and be the first to know when it drops. Thank you so much. And what you do with the practice of intermittent fasting, but not every day, is you teach your body to make so much energy that you don't feel like you're going to die when there's no food and that you have more than enough energy to maintain your willpower and to not even think about food. And it takes time. And that's why you start slowly as a woman and you say, oh, maybe I am going to work my way up to more regular fasting. But as soon as you see the warning signs, have breakfast, just make it a good breakfast. Welcome to Better with Dr. Stephanie. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This show is for women just like you with a deep desire for learning, self-actualization, and becoming more of who you already are. Every week, we are going to deconstruct how to build better bodies, better minds, better relationships, better sex, and better families. I'll be giving you access to world-class thought leaders to help give you the tools to answer this question. What are the simplest things that you can do today to get better tomorrow? I am part geek, part magic, and want to share the juiciest questions, topics, and often taboo conversations that I think I've always wanted to be a part of and I wanted to be having. So let's get better together. Hey, Bettys. Welcome back to another episode of Better with Dr. Stephanie. It's me, your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This week, I am thrilled to bring you a conversation with Dave Asprey. We are discussing his new book this week, Fast This Way, How to Burn Fat, Heal Inflammation, and Eat Like the High-Performing Human You Were Meant to to be. And let me tell you, this was, we went hard on the nerd and hard on the geek. So you are going to really enjoy our conversation. Just before we get into the particulars, I wanted to read a beautiful review that came in from Australia from Miss Magistra. And she writes, I am enjoying Dr. Stephanie's grounded knowledge on women's bodies, health, and well-being. Her communication and humor makes what can be dry at times accessible <laughs> to someone who is a humanities major. I love the Geeky Magic episodes, but her interviews are great too. What a find. As a woman in my 40s, it's such an overdue space. Women's wisdom. Thank you and wishing you well. Well, thank you. What a wonderful review. And I think that you Bettys are trying to make me cry because every time I see reviews like this, I am so touched. I receive all of them. I watch them come in from all over the world as this one has. And I just want to thank you. I know you guys are busy and important in your own lives. So taking the time to write a review really does mean a lot. And it also helps other Bettys like you find the podcast. So thank you for that. 
All right. So with Dave Asprey, he almost needs no introduction. He has written seven books. He is the founder of Bulletproof Coffee, and he has a line of which are which is the coffee line which which tests for mold. And he has a line of supplementation. He has all, he's the father of biohacking. He came on the pod to discuss his new book, Fast This way. As you may very well know, I've been talking about fasting for many, many years. And Dave really does a great job at deconstructing a lot of the science and taking a lot of the guilt out of fasting. I think that sometimes, particularly for women, we are much more inclined to have punishing thoughts and to think that we have to adhere to one type of fast in order to get results. And as you will hear in our conversation, Dave really does completely reject that and is very much flexible in his thinking and his application of fasting. So we talk about the purpose of fasting, why it's important for us to face our fears that may be around feeding. So the maybe stories or narratives that we've been taught around, you know, needing to feed every three to five hours, you know, stoking the metabolic fire. I'm using air quotes in case you can't see me and there's an eye roll in there somewhere too. (laughs) So we talk about the purpose of fasting. We talk about this idea of examining how fasting allows for you to examine your actual needs versus your perceived needs and how the things that are unnecessary can really fall away through a fasting protocol. Of course, we talk about some of the benefits of fasting. We talk about NAD levels. We talk about insulin. We talk about all the geeky magic in there. We talk about inflammation and some of the foods that you may not necessarily know that are causing an inflammatory response, affecting your sleep, affecting your ability to lose weight. So we talk about histamine foods, high oxalate foods, high lectin foods, phytic acid, um, you know, cheap fats, uh, a lot of omega-6 fats. And then we talk a lot about the flexibility in fasting. And this is where I think uh, maybe my favorite part of our conversation was this idea around females in fasting. Again, the through line is similar. And Dave has a very similar philosophical premise that I do in that women are not little men. We have to do things differently to honor our menstrual cycle, to honor our ovaries. And when we are in menopause, that there are different considerations for a menopausal woman as well. We get into sleep and fasting, how we can improve our sleep through whether it's prebiotic fibers or by limiting the time in which we fast. And we talk about exercising whilst fasting. So how to um, set up your day uh, if you are fasting or you're practicing intermittent fasting, when to eat, how to supplement, all the stuff. We talk about all this great information. And Dave actually revealed that in the sale of this book, so if you buy the Fast This Way book, he is actually going to be teaching you live the book itself. And I thought that this was incredible. So I think a lot of times authors will write a book and then hope that the reader will be able to implement everything on their own. And I just might steal this from you, Dave. I love that he went, he's going to have a, if you show a receipt, you go to fastthiswaycom That's F-A-S-T-T-H-I-S-W-A-Y.com. Put in your receipt for the sale of the book and you will be able to be taught live by Dave 
around some of the hacks in the book, things that have come up that are not in the book as well. So I think this is a worthwhile investment of your time and your money. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Dave Asprey. I am a huge fan of the Bio Optimizers Magnesium Breakthrough. It has seven forms of magnesium, which is going to help to transform your stress and your performance and your recovery and your sleep to the next level. I'm often asked like, well, what are the types of magnesium we should be looking for? So there's magnesium chelate and citrate and bisglycinate and malate, sucrosomial, taurate and orotate. They have various effects on the body. Bisglycinate, probably the most bioavailable and most absorbable. Malate, it's found naturally in fruits, helps with migraines. Chronic pain has been shown to help improve depression. Magnesium citrate uh, helps with arterial stiffness. It helps with maintaining a healthy weight. Magnesium chelate is important for muscle building, recovery and health, the list goes on and on. You're basically getting them all in one supplement. Each supplement itself is 500 milligrams of magnesium, which I feel is such a great dosage as a great baseline for most women. I have found a beautiful medium of actually cycling my magnesium. So I actually will take one or two of these. So I'm either getting 500 milligrams or up to a gram of magnesium, depending on where I am in my cycle. So head on over to biooptimizers.com forward slash better and use code better for 10% off of any order, but make sure that the magnesium breakthrough is in your cart. Don't be fooled by the frigid temperatures. Keeping hydrated in the wintertime is super important. In colder temperatures, we sweat more due to a higher metabolic demand of trying to maintain a core body temperature. We lose more fluids and electrolytes through our urine. We lose more water through respiration and just general breathing. And our skin dries out in the wintertime as well. We are a ski family, and over this winter, we have been using Elementee's Chocolate Medley. The chocolate chai is absolutely incredible with some boiling water, a splash of milk, and my kids love the chocolate mint with some hot water. This is our apres ski. We cozy up with Element Hot After Hours on our cross-country trails. Now, for a limited time, you too can get the Element Tea Chocolate Medley and enjoy them hot as I have been doing with this exclusive insider bundle for you. When you buy three boxes of any flavor, it doesn't have to be the chocolate, it can be any of the flavors that they offer, you are going to get the fourth box free. If you head over to drinkelement.com forward slash Dr. Estima, you'll see that exclusive offer at the bottom of the page. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And tell me which of the chocolate melody you love the best. All right, Dave Asprey, I am thrilled to welcome you to the Better Podcast. Welcome. I am really happy to be here. Awesome. And I am so excited for our conversation today. We are going to nerd out together on really what has been the premier topic in healthcare for the last several years. And of course, I'm talking about fasting and we are talking about your beautiful new book, Fast This Way, How to Burn Fat, Heal Inflammation and Eat Like the High Performing Human You Are Meant to Be. So we're going to have fun uh, diving deep into this book today. It, it's one of those things where writing a book about fasting, it, it's a scary because no one wants to be told, hey, you shouldn't eat. And that's not what fasting is about. And 
honestly, how hard is it to write that kind of a book? Let's see. Step one, don't eat for a while. Step two, it's good for you. Here's some studies. <laughs> this is not that book. <laughs> I promise it's not that book. There's some studies in there, but it's doing it right. It's based on 10 years of people doing the Bulletproof diet. People have lost a million pounds on the diet. Intermittent fasting was a core part of it when I published the book in 2014. And since I've been talking about these methods since 2010. So I feel like I have enough data, enough success stories, and enough to, to notice how do you actually do it when you have a life versus when you're a health influencer. And you're like, oh, I'm going to fast for three days in Bali. And you're like, yeah, right. Like I'm going right. to try and fast with a job and a kid hanging off each arm at home because they can't put them in school right now. So the idea of a working fast where you can still function and the idea of a rest and reflect and reset into a spiritual practice, they're both real, but trying to do them all at the same time in the middle of a work week, maybe maybe that's a little more than we need to do. So I, I felt like the practical aspects of fasting were missing from our conversation and the spiritual aspects were missing. So how could I put that together in a, something that was worthy of someone's time to read it? And you really have done an outstanding job doing that. And I really, I want to dive into some of the, just what you were saying, some of the um, purposes behind why we fast and maybe some of the gentler ways that we can incorporate it into everyday life, because you're right. People think like, okay, I'm going to fast. So that means I got to like, just you know, get my water, my reverse osmosis water, and I'm going to do this for five days. And then, you know, by day one or two, you know, we're crawling on the floor, you know, <laughs> like rocking in the corner somewhere saying like, I don't know why this didn't work for me. So yeah, I, I love how you've done that. And I, I definitely want to tease all of that apart in our conversation today. And I thought a, a good place to start would be to, uh, throughout the book, you have this through line of this four day fast that you undertook uh, in the, in, you know, the caves and your, uh, your process, your, you know, your realizations around fasting and, you know, tying into what we were just saying, what your, um, what you really learned about yourself, maybe the conditioning that we had around or the cadence that we have, or that we're conditioned to think about with food and rhythms and when we should be eating. So can we start a little bit, tell us a little bit about that experience, um, in the sure. cave and where, uh, what you learned from it? I realized after I'd lost uh, most of the hundred pounds that I've lost uh, and I'd, I'd gone through this chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia and arthritis and brain fog before I was 30. So I, I had a lot to recover from, but I, I had done a lot of that work and part of it is personal development and part of it is biological repair. Uh, but I, I certainly wasn't done. And I realized that I was actually afraid of being hungry. I was afraid of being hungry for two very good reasons. One of them is that all life forms are afraid of running out of food because it tends to be a big problem for anything alive. <laughs> no food, you die. So we don't like dying. Uh, we don't like it in our cells, in our tissues, and certainly not in our conscious brain, but the body does all sorts of stuff before you can think about it to keep you alive, including making me potato chips. <laughs> so I... I realized I had heard and I learned and I believed that if I didn't eat six times a day, I would go into starvation mode, which means death, right? And then somehow if I didn't eat six times a day, I'd get fat, which doesn't make a lot of sense on its face, but you believe this and your body believes that it's a mortal threat if you don't have that muffin at 10 a.m. But the bigger reason that I was afraid of being hungry was not just that, oh, I'll go into starvation mode, I'll get fatter, maybe I'll die. It takes two months or three months to starve to death. But you, we believe, well, I'm starving if I don't have my tacos at noon instead of 1230. Like, like it's not really starving, but we feel like it is. I was, 
I was afraid of being a jerk because hypoglybitchy would describe me very accurately when I weighed 300 pounds. The official you know, if term. I didn't get my snack, <laughs> man, I was a jerk. And I like, I don't like being a jerk. And, and then you're sort of ashamed. Like, why did I yell at my colleagues or my boss or my friends or my spouse or whatever? You know, why did I get so pissed off in traffic and all that? Well, if I don't eat, I tend to get more angry. At least I did. Now that's not a factor. And so I'm afraid of being a jerk. I'm afraid of being hungry. And through other processes I talk about in the book, I realized I was just afraid of being alone. And a lot of people have this. And that's one of the reasons that the whole pandemic is really making people anxious and depressed and stressed and making them stress eat and all is just fear of loneliness. We're, we're wired in our cells. And I talk about all these different internal wiring things that it's not a brain thing, it's a tissue thing, but we're wired to have friends and be around people. And so I was afraid of, of that as well. So how could I solve that? I hired a shaman and she dropped me off in the desert for four days in a cave with no food and no people anywhere for 10 miles around. That means I'm allowed to yell at the walls of the cave and get all pissed off if I want to. I'm allowed to be really hungry, but there's nothing to eat but dirt. Uh, so I'm just going to have to face it. And what I learned through the course of doing that was I showed my body that I wasn't going to die if I went four days without food. In fact, I surprised the heck out of myself because on the fourth day, you think, okay, you're in the desert. Like all you're drinking is water and a little bit of salt. Um, you're going to feel like garbage. Instead, I felt so good that I'm like, oh, don't worry. You don't have to pick me up. I'll just walk to the trail. I ended up climbing the wrong mountain on the way out of the cave with no food after four days, feeling amazing the whole time, not stressed at all, uh, walking around and finally ended up connecting with the shaman after I probably walked 15 miles just hiking around, carrying a backpack, no big deal. What? Like that's, that's impossible in what I believed, but it turns out it really was possible. And once you show the body, it can do something that it thinks it can't. Your amount of pain in doing that again goes down dramatically because the body's afraid, even though there's no reason to be afraid because fear is an emotion. It's not a thought. It doesn't have to have a reason. It's just there for all sorts of strange reasons. So what emerged from this experience and from writing my books on bacteria and mitochondria and life and nutrition, we're all wired with these four F words that drive what we do. And it's the same stuff that drives yogurt. <laughs> it's the same stuff that drives biofilms and turtles and, and, and palm trees. It doesn't matter. Step one, if something might kill you, you need to run away from, kill, or hide from it. And you put 10 times more energy into that than is necessary. And you do that because, hey, this is meant for life without a human brain in there. This is your body doing it to try and keep you alive if you're not home. And then the second thing we do, which gets about five times more energy than it really needs now, is eat everything. It's feed. Because famines have killed so many of all kinds of life, no, no nutrients, no life. And since the cells in your body don't understand there's billions of people, there's no risk of that. They're like, hey, if, if you don't eat, the species will die. And you get this strong craving, hunger. And they're totally lying to you, but they think it's real. And then the third F word is what all life has to do to stay here for long periods of time. Stephanie, can you guess the other F word? I can, yes. And you can say it if you'd like. Fertility? That's what you were thinking, right? Yeah, that's what I was thinking, yeah. <laughs> so, exact word. <laughs> yeah, that F word, right? Yeah. So this gets about three times more attention than it needs. Now, um, that's to say, if we don't, as adults, have love and sex in our life, we get stressed, we get anxious, we feel like something looming is wrong. 
And it's because our tissue is like, hey, you're not doing the thing that makes new ones of us happen. Therefore, the species is at risk. So if you don't run away from things that aren't going to kill you, but might, in other words, criticism, <laughs> anything that doesn't <laughs> Online feel comments, good. comments, yes. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and you don't eat everything, right, until you just can't eat anymore. And you don't basically go out on those dates you know you shouldn't have gone out on. There's, there's some kind of this subtle discomfort in our tissues. And those three F words drive every bad decision we ever made. The, the saving grace, and, and one of the reasons I wanted to write the book, is there's a fourth F word, which is friend. And all life does this. So the bacteria get together and make yogurt. And the, the trees get together and make a forest. And I don't know what a herd of turtles is called, but they do that too. But humans make tribes. And what we do is we specialize and we are wired in our bones to be kind to each other and to support our community. And if we don't get to do that, we're less happy. But we never focus on that if we're afraid, if we're hungry, and if we're not feeling love. And since we feel like we're going to die without love, we feel like we're going to die without food, we feel like we're going to die if we don't run away from kill or hide from whatever the heck it is that's a little bit scary, then we spend the vast majority of our conscious mental effort balancing those three things instead of the fourth thing, which is being of service to others, which is what feels best. So of all of those things, food is a major suck and food also triggers fear. What's really interesting is one of the studies in Fast This Way says that for the average person, okay, this means someone who's not overweight and someone who's not in the middle of maybe her cycle, <laughs> someone who got normal amounts of sleep, that 15% of your thoughts every day are about what are you going to eat for your next meal. When you learn how to do intermittent fasting, especially using the fasting hacks, the things that turn off the cravings, so you don't have to face cravings when you're facing a workday. When you do that right, you don't have any thoughts about food in your head and you get 15% of your mental capacity back. And then, oh, your body starts burning ketones, which give you more energy than burning glucose. And like, oh, I got more energy from that. And you're not using energy to digest food. Instead, it goes into being who you are and what you doing what you want to do. So you got more energy there. Oh, and you weren't eating food toxins, whether they're natural or man-made, doesn't matter. You're not eating those either. So you got a bigger boost and all of a sudden, you're saying, wait a minute, I didn't spend time on making breakfast. I didn't spend energy on making breakfast. And I had more energy, less hunger, less thoughts about food and a better morning than I did before. So you actually got time and money back and more energy out of it. That's why I wrote the book because it's the highest return on investment you can do because it costs less than what you do today and it feels way better if you know how to do it. You do it too much, especially as a woman, it's not gonna work right? You do it the wrong way. You're like, oh man, I'm really, I'm going to just suck it up and get through this, but I'm probably going to yell at someone. You can do that, but you don't have to do that. And it's that sense of freedom from cravings that made me want to write the book because when I weighed 300 pounds, I was, I didn't even know you could be hungry without having a craving. I, they're different things. And most people today don't know the difference. Right. And I think it's so important when we're thinking about the construct of fasting, and you've said this in a very elegant way, both just now and in the book, is that you're, when you examine your actual needs versus your perceived ones. I think that's something that's really come up in the pandemic, I think for a lot of people as well. But you, when you examine actual versus perceived, you actually expose how much power you actually have over some of these different verticals, be it food or, you know, fertility or being, you know, any of the Fs that you, that you discussed. And I think that fasting in, in many ways is 
I mean, anyone can read this book and say, okay, I understand fasting. Like I understand the physiological consequences of fasting or the, you know, or the benefits of fasting, but it forces you to question a whole set of false assumptions that you have right. that we have to eat. Like you said, like three meals and two snacks, or, I mean, I, that's what I was taught when I was coming and I was a fitness instructor and it was like five meals a day is like three meals, two snacks and make sure I grew up in the high carb, low fat sort of, you know, time. Oh, me too. And, yeah. And so that can be really hardwired for people, but fasting really forces you to look at the narratives and the stories that you may have made up, either, whether it's through teachings that have, that have maybe since been outdated or your own relationship to food and other ways, we, you talk about other ways that you can fast as well. And then you can really begin to, you know, I like the word empowerment, like take back your power from some of, you know, whether it be big food or, you know, some of the other um, drivers that are telling you that every you know, every time you get that little nibble of hunk, like reach for a hundred calorie, you know, whatever snack, you know, hundred calorie hunger bar that makes you hungrier after you eat it. Right. Right. Which is a, it's a crazy thing, but this is part of the book. It's that if you eat the right stuff before you start a fast, the fast is easy. And if you eat foods that cause cravings, the fast is going to be really, really rough. Yeah. And if you have something you thought was healthy for dinner, you wake up in the morning and you're like, man, I've got cramps. Like I'm really hungry. I'm ravenous. If you wake up ravenous, I promise you 100%, you made a mistake in your dinner. That's why, right? And the mistake might be something that common, uh, you know, common beliefs are, oh, that's actually good for you. I should do more of that. I promise you that if you have kale and hummus for dinner, the odds of waking up hungry are a lot higher than if you have Oh, a piece of grass-fed meat or something like broccoli, which is different than kale, right? They, they have different effects on you, but we're taught, oh, that doesn't really make a difference. I ate, I had enough calories or I ate plant-based, which doesn't mean anything. Sarin, the nerve gas is plant-based. Oh, and spider venom is animal-based. Like those are meaningless categories. Did you have a high fat meal? Was it corn oil and soybean oil or was it coconut oil? Because they do entirely different things, right? Are you on a liquid diet? Was the liquid gasoline or celery juice? Because they're totally different. So anytime you find yourself falling for one of these big categories, oh, are you keto? Does that mean you eat only pork rinds and NutraSweet? Because that's keto, right? You can do all of these right. And so what I, I'm working to teach people is through fasting, you will very quickly learn, oh, what am I doing that causes me biological cravings? And biological cravings are coming from inside your cells, inside your gut, from your hormones. And there's also the other cravings that come from the F words, which are, I'm feeling bored. I'm feeling lonely. I'm eating for an emotional reason. But fasting will help you to highlight that because, man, I'm eating today because I just can't resist it. Or I'm, I'm feeling the urge to eat right now, even though I don't have a strong craving. I'm just really bored and I like chocolate. And so go for it. Right. <laughs> so those are just different universes. And the idea that, okay, I'm going to manage when did I have dinner? What did I have for dinner? So that the next morning I could eat, but I don't really need to eat. In fact, I'm not that hungry. You know, maybe I'll even skip the fasting hacks. I'll just have, you know, a cup of tea or I'll do a black coffee, whatever. And then I'll eat at the right time for me. And part of what's in fast this way is giving yourself permission to not do it the same every day. As humans, especially busy people, I'm going to say especially busy moms, like, okay, I have Monday through Friday, there's a school time and, and like there's a regimented schedule. That's the schedule that caused us to have three meals a day. And it goes back to industrial England where 
people would have to work in a factory for 12 to 16 hours. So you'd eat breakfast and there was no lunch break and no bathroom break. Like you were pretty much treated very poorly, almost like you work for the largest e-commerce company in the world today. Oh, wait, did I say that out loud? <laughs> anyway, so we we do that, that sort of a, a thing where we built it into our process. And so now you're a parent and okay, I got to wake up. I got to have breakfast. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do that. Well, it's convenient to do the same thing every day, but when it comes to exercise, if you lift heavy every morning or every day, you will soon be injured. You'll start gaining weight, your sleep quality will go down because you're overtraining. And you can do the same thing with fasting. And what I found, and there's a whole chapter for women where I look at only the research on women because maybe a third of fasting papers even make it, make that analysis. The rest of them, oh, we just did white dudes because they were cheap and easy 20 years ago because that's all that was in college. And now college is more diverse. There's more women than men. And so we're getting newer studies that look at women versus men. And in the chapter for women, what becomes very apparent is that women hit the wall faster. And the fasting trap is something I write about. It's the same as the keto trap. It's the same as the vegan trap that I fell into when I was a raw vegan that made me quite ill, actually. I had to develop the bulletproof diet to recover from it. And the idea here is that if something works, you should do more of it. So I went vegan. I'm like, oh, I feel really good, right? And six weeks later, I'm convinced that this is it. And I start having health problems caused by that. So let me go even more vegan. Well, a bee touched the honey. I won't do that. Like maybe I'll grind up more kale, right? And you kind of go down this until you like hit a wall. And then keto, a lot of people say, oh man, I'm, I'm going to be keto forever. It's like, no, there's a reason that the Bulletproof Diet is cyclical keto without eating certain keto foods. Because when I did keto in the nineties, it's called the Atkins diet. I lost 50 pounds and the other 50 pounds took 10 years to lose because keto doesn't work because I was over ketoing it. Right. And right. with fasting with women, man, if you try an intermittent fast every day, you're probably gonna feel good for a little while. And what I find is that quite often women get to the point where maybe four to six weeks in, if they're doing recurrent, unending intermittent fasting, sleep quality goes down. And if you measure it like I do with an aura ring, you'll see it. Otherwise you just wake up, you feel kind of hungover. And then a couple of weeks later, man, my cycle isn't as regular as it was. Right. And I, I kind of, I feel maybe a little bit hungover, but I didn't actually drink wine. And then my hair started to get thin, but I know fasting works because I felt so good. So maybe I'll fast for two days instead of one day. Whereas what you should do is have some damn breakfast already. Right? <laughs> so right. this is the trap. And for men, uh, it, it's a little bit different because it usually takes six to eight weeks. And similar, you, you start waking up and you feel like garbage. And then you wake up and you don't have your morning kickstand the way you normally do if your health is in generally good order. And then you start getting thinning hair. So the trick is don't fast the same every day. If you had really bad sleep last night, which can happen, especially on perimenopause, maybe today is a day to have some protein and fat for breakfast, right? You can still eat healthy. You can still eat to not have cravings, but it's okay to have food. If you're on your cycle, your body's kind of working to build up a new layer. You got a lot of stress in there already. It's not a day for an intermittent fast. So don't do it the same way every day. Mix it up and be kind to yourself. And if you wake up and you don't have it today, one mindset says, I'm going to go to the gym and kill it anyway, because that's what good people do, even though you're exhausted. But the wise approach, the self-care approach is to say, you know what? Today, I woke up, I was inflamed. I didn't sleep well last night. You know, my kids kept me up all night. The dog barked, whatever. I just, I don't feel good. I'm going to do some yoga and breathing and I'm just not going to go lift. I'm not going to do what I was going to do because I'm going to adjust my behavior from my state. And when you're in a place in your life where your state changes more dramatically than normal, you know, my wife is 
Um, definitely dealing with perimenopause. She's a medical doctor. We talk about that. And that's in the book as well. Like, look, there's some days where fasting is going to make you feel amazing. And some days where it's not. And if you become rigid in your fasting, you're not going to like it. And if you never eat carbs, you're really not going to like it. And if you always eat carbs, you're not going to like it. So right. it's that variability that's frustrating, but it's also liberating because you have control. Well, this is what I thought was so outstanding about your book. One, that you actually addressed the idea that females are not little men, like we're not just like smaller archetypes of men with more complex hormones, because that's, and even, you know, in all transparency, when I first started on my own keto and fasting journey, I would just look, I was like, well, Mark Sisson is doing a five-day fast. Like, I'm going to do a five-day fast. And of course, as you were saying, I was miserable. My menstrual cycle for months on end after that was completely deranged. I had heavy bleeding, all the things. And I think women generally, we tend to, we also forget that we're not little men and we like to jump all in. You know, we, we, we ride this wave of adrenaline and motivation and we say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to lose the weight or I'm going to do that, whatever it is. And what I have seen over and again is women will make some progress. So maybe they do the fasting for three days. They feel really good. And then the next three days are like, I don't know what happened, but I just fell off that bandwagon, like nobody's business. And I was binging on the carbs and, but I'll start again. And so you have this like two steps forward, three steps back, which is not only physiologically, um, you know, uh, upsetting, but it's also psychologically really upsetting as well. And I just about stood up and clapped. (laughs) So you have this study that I have talked about many times on the podcast with the, uh, there was a study that you referenced in this chapter. You were talking about the female rodents uh, and the caloric restrict. So they were intermittent fasted. Some of them had the 20% caloric restriction. Some of them had the 40%. And what we saw over the course of two weeks was that these female rats now had sleep dysregulation. They became, their ovaries shrank and they became, um, I think it was like amenorrheic or, di- you know, their, their menstrual cycles were yes. completely deranged over time. And I think as women, we just have to move towards, uh, using gentler terms, move towards accepting that our nutrient sensing ability, we are much more sensitive to changes in our environment for the F word that we've been talking about for the fertility, right? We are the carriers of, I mean, it's, you know, guys have to expend some energy to create sperm, but we're the ones that actually have to do something with that, make, make the, you know, make the baby and go through the labor and all of that. Right. I I appreciate you saying that. And I, I wrote this in the book and it's almost become politically incorrect to, to identify that men and women are different. And it's not to say women can't do math because you clearly can. My grandmother is a, is a PhD nuclear engineer. So yes, women can do math. <laughs> it's not about that, but it's recognizing the differences. And from an evolutionary biology perspective, and I like to interview evolutionary biologists because they're, they're very thought provoking about this. It's like, look, if you were to go have sex and get pregnant in a time when there aren't adequate nutrients or there is inadequate energy, and those are different different worlds, right? They could be both. You could have plenty of nutrients and not enough energy. You're still not going to end well. That is a threat to your life and a threat to your child's life, right? Now, you're like, but I'm not going to have a child. I, I'm not interested. Your cells don't know. What I didn't put in this book, but is in one of my earlier books, is that the ovaries have 100,000 mitochondria per cell. Mm-hmm. But the brain in men and women has 15,000 mitochondria per cell and the heart does too. 
But other than that, it's a few hundred to a couple thousand. The, we, I call them power plants. Everyone says mitochondria, the power plants, the cell. That's selling them short. Mitochondria are environmental sensors that are the puppet masters of your biology. They decide what to do way before you ever even feel what's going on around you. They make hormones. They make neurotransmitters. They make electrical energy. They make fear molecules even. And they are in way more control. They're the ones driving those four F words. And they're hidden from us because there's a quadrillion ancient bacteria doing these little tiny decisions that eventually become our ego and our meat operating system. We're not supposed to see all that. But man, when you, you look at it from that perspective and you say, okay, I'm going to give myself permission to be kind to myself, uh, to, to send those mitochondria a signal that says, you know what? I live in a world where there's plenty of nutrition, but I'm not going to eat it all the time. That's a sense of safety. But if you're doing this chronic calorie deprivation, you're over fasting, even if you eat enough calories every day, or you're eating the wrong stuff, you know, the diet soda and Cheetos diet, it's actually plant-based, <laughs> but it, it's not going to, to end well. And it creates a biological stress because the body knows if I was to get pregnant now, I could die and the species could die. And if you're a guy and you eat that same kind of crap, what happens is your swimmers become much less fertile. You get less uh, sperm motility. In fact, sperm quality is a great indicator of how old and how healthy a guy is, right? But let's face it, you're probably not going to die if you get someone pregnant. Now, as men, at least men who have, you know, integrity, we don't think like that clearly, but our biology feels like that. Right. And so it'll tune us to say, yeah, you can go another couple of weeks without food before the ladies do. That's fine. In fact, it's your job to go kill the cave bear that's keeping us from eating food. So go do it. Right. And when we just honor, okay, there is the, the divine masculine pushing energy and there's the divine feminine receiving energy and that they're both equally valid and important. I truly think that that intermittent fasting allows both men and women, especially when you do it in a spiritual fast, to really just sit with that and like, yeah, we're different, but we're both very powerful. It, it, you know, the yin yang symbols that way for a reason. Uh, so I'm I'm happy that you bring that up because kindness to yourself to tell your body the world is safe, the world is nutrient, is full of nutrients, and the world has plenty of energy for me. It creates inner peace, even if you never have sex, even if you're not ever planning to have a family. It's the sense of safety that creates peace. And peace means less of the first F word interfering with your thoughts, which means way more mental energy, way more ability to show up in your life, show up for your family, show up for your community, show up for yourself to improve yourself. So why would you want to do that low calorie thing again? because it takes away from your ability to be you. I fell for it so hard, 18 months of working out an hour and a half a day, half weights, half cardio, six days a week on a low fat, low calorie diet, where it was the most important thing I did every day, no matter what. And what did I get for it? I still had a 46 inch waist when I was done. I still weighed 300 pounds when I was done, uh, but I was tired and I was definitely stronger than I was. Uh, and I probably gave myself some autoimmune conditions as a result of overtraining for that period of time. It, it doesn't work. And it's mean and deceptive and just nasty to tell, especially a woman, oh, you want to lose weight? Eat some lettuce and go to a spin class. That is not how you do it. That is how you tell yourself a, a tiger is chasing me every day and there's no food. And no wonder you feel 
cranky and no wonder you're tired and you're exhausted and you feel like something's chasing you because you told yourself something was chasing you and it's time to eat, eat really healthy stuff with quality, good fats, not junk seed oils. And just doing that, it, it turns on a feeling of satiety that's hard to express. I, I'm remembering a, a friend, uh, he and his fiance um, got pregnant. I say she got pregnant, but they got pregnant together. And he was, he had decided, this is, you know, going back around the time of this fast a little bit after, decided, you know what? Uh, he said, you need to be vegan, you know, for the baby, which is by the way, I wrote a, my first book was on fertility with my wife, who's a medical doctor. Don't be vegan and pregnant is really, really not a good idea. Anyway, she was miserable, just miserable. And I sat him down, I said, you guys can't do this. So she wasn't fasting, but she was showing her body during pregnancy that the world doesn't have the nutrients she needed, that there were no good fats in the world. So I sat them down and convinced her to, to eat a steak, a grass-fed steak. And we took half a stick of grass-fed butter and put it on the steak. And I still to this day remember she leaned forward like someone in prison eating and she puts an arm in front of the food and she cuts <laughs> it up and she's making sound like oomph, 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 just eating this thing. And, and my friend looks at me and he goes, Dave, I think she likes you more than she likes me right now. And she was just like, oh, like I finally got what I needed. Like, like you yeah. know, almost tears in her eyes, right? If you do fasting every single day, you'll get that level of stress, right? You don't need to do that. And so my recommendation for women, especially around perimenopause, is three or four times a week. And you can do a 16-hour fast. You can do a 14-hour if that's what works for you. But if you do it and you find, wow, I'm dizzy and I got a migraine, you overdid it and you need to back off a little bit. Right. And it's okay. There is no failure. And if you're saying, I, I told myself I was going to do 18 hours today, but I, I don't feel that good. And I tried pushing through last time and it didn't work. So today, 16 hours is right for me. And there's no moral failing in saying, I'm going to choose to end my fast sooner. I used to think, Look, if I, you know, if I do something I said I wasn't going to do nutritionally, whether it's eat the cookie that's been screaming at me all afternoon <laughs> or something else, like it's because I'm a bad person. It's because I'm weak. And fasting shows you it's not that way at all. It's that my body thought I was going to die if I didn't do it. And it lowered the energy I had until I ran out of willpower and then I ate. And what you do with the practice of intermittent fasting, but not every day, is you teach your body to make so much energy that you don't feel like you're going to die when there's no food and that you have more than enough energy to maintain your willpower and to not even think about food. And it takes time. And that's why you start slowly as a woman and you say, oh, maybe I am going to work my way up to more regular fasting. But as soon as you see the warning signs, have breakfast, just make it a good breakfast. And, like, right. and it's okay. There's no shame in eating anything. Everything you eat is a mix of three things. It has actual energy. It's called calories. You need energy to function. I need 3,000 calories a day for my body weight and muscle mass. So I've measured it. A lot of people, it's 1,500 calories a day, right? Or maybe it's 2,000, which is more average, 2,200. But whatever it is, you have to get that much energy. And when someone says, oh, eat a nutrient-dense food, it's garbage math, okay? The most nutrient-dense food on earth would be a vitamin capsule because it's just vitamins and no calories, but they're, they're telling you that kale is nutrient dense, but kale is mostly fiber you can't digest and water and a tiny bit of nutrients and almost no calories. So even if you eat five pounds of kale, you didn't get enough energy to get through the day. And that's, that's mean. That's basically making you eat sponges that you can't digest and then wondering why you feel low energy. So um, you, you go through that line of thinking, you say, okay, I've got to get enough energy and then I've got to get enough nutrients. But if the nutrients are packed with toxins and anti-nutrients, 
nutrient dense diets don't pay attention to that. So you could say, here's a bowl of cyanide with a vitamin capsule. As long as it has no calories, it was nutrient dense. You could eat that. So that kind of thinking doesn't make sense. So like how much energy did I want to have today? And in what form fats, the best energy, if it's the right kinds of fat, Protein is a bad energy source because burning protein to make energy causes huge amounts of ammonia and toxins, and it's not good for you. So enough protein, but not too much. And then carbs, but not sugar and corn syrup. More of the, the starches, the slow burning starches, the resistant starches, the prebiotic fiber. That's one of the fasting hacks and fast this way. And if you look at it that way, like, oh, that's cool. And how do I eat foods with less toxins? Because those are the ones that won't cause cravings. And I'm picking on kale because kale's gross. <laughs> I am incredibly bullish on sauna as a therapy for recovery, heart health, and overall aging well. I personally decided on an infrared sauna from Sunlighten because of the range of far wavelengths and near infrared wavelengths that it offers. Saunas help with detoxification and rejuvenation to rid your body of toxins. It helps with heart health by improving circulation, reducing blood pressure, and helping keep the arteries supple. It helps with muscle recovery by easing the tension and soreness to recover faster. And of course, stress reduction with the warmth and the relaxation of sitting in a sauna. It's crucial for hormonal balance and achieving a state of well-being necessary for a strong physique and a strong mind. If you visit sunlighten.com slash better and use code better to get a discount. That is sunlighten, S-U-N-L-I-G-H-T-E-N.com slash B-E-T-T-E-R and use code better at checkout. And Kale has a really good marketing department. I think Kale has a really good uh, people. AMA, Kale yeah. Marketing Association. They <laughs> consciously created the kale trend. And I will tell you, kale is the one vegetable that accumulates thallium, the toxic metal that's way worse than mercury and lead, way faster than any other plant we know of. And people who eat lots of kale will routinely find their thallium levels are elevated. It also is full of oxalic acid which forms tiny crystals in your joints, in your brain, in your gut, and also in your vulva. So a condition called vulvodynia, that if especially you have candida or you've lived in a house with toxic mold or you have, you've had systemic problems for a while, um, eating kale causes pain in your feet, pain in your joints. And if you get that vulvodynia, you probably aren't going to be able to wear underwear for a month or two as the crystals dissolve. Oh, and kidney stones are a big part of it too. So we're like, why are we doing this? Because kale makes us really hungry. Have you ever eaten a kale salad? And then just being like, I'm so full. I, I don't enjoy raw kale, to be honest. So I, I will, I will, I, I mean, I've made kale chips in the past, but yeah. I, uh, I don't enjoy kale. I find it too, like you're like, I find it bitter and yeah. Yeah. I, so I, I live on an organic farm mm. and we have, uh, depending on the time of the year, a couple dozen pigs that eat as nature intended and a couple dozen sheep, they spit out kale. <laughs> It's not for them. <laughs> not today, Kale. So let, let's actually double click a little bit on that. So we, we've been talking, so that would be an example of a high, a high oxalate food. What yeah. are some other, uh, and I want to talk a little bit about inflammation and inflammatory foods. And inflammation is sort of this like nebulous, you know, it could be like a sore toe or sore joints, as you said, all the way up to, you know, the NLRP3 inflammasome. Pat. Like it, me it can mean so many things. But when we're talking about this in the context of chronic low grade inflammation from some of these subcategories of foods. Can we talk a little bit about what some of the, and you know, for some people, you know, kale might be fine. Uh, but for others, as you're saying, it may be, it may have all of these knock on effects that we may not necessarily associate with that particular 
food yeah. sensitivity. So let's talk about some of the maybe high lectins, uh, histamines, okay. some of the some of the things that you have outlined in the book and things for us to be aware of. There's five and, and maybe even six categories. I only write five in the book, but there's a sixth category that that I'm going to call out as well here. And the five categories of, of plant toxins, they're there for the same reason that we take care of our young. Plants can't run away and they can't really protect themselves very well. So I think, oh, I'll just cover myself in toxins so I can do the first F word, fear, right? And these toxins are designed to keep animals from eating too much of them. And one of them is oxalic acid, which is high in raw spinach and kale, these two darling health foods that generally drive cravings. And they're always suboptimal foods. Even if you're like, oh, I can eat it. There isn't a lot of nutrient in there compared to all of the downside. Even if you handle the downside well, it's still putting a load on your kidneys, it's still putting a load on your gut, and it's just not health food, but you might have the resilience to do it. Um, and people say, oh, it has vitamin K. No, it has vitamin K1, that's the wrong form. You need vitamin K2, sorry guys. Right. <laughs> so, um, so kale and raw spinach, but even almonds are relatively high in oxalic acid. And many people don't know it, but they're eating a lot of oxalates and their joints hurt all the time. And they're saying, geez, why is it? I decided I'd get healthier. So I started making kale smoothies and now I'm really in pain, but the kale smoothies are healthy. It can't be those. It must be something else. And they go down a path, right? So knowing oxalic acid is an issue is, is a big thing. There's also lectins. This has been a centerpiece of the Bulletproof Diet since 2010. Lectins are proteins that stick to sugar molecules that are present in your biology. You make more than a thousand types of lectin in your body every day. You do not need to avoid all sources of lectins, but some lectins are very aggressive and much worse than others. In fact, we use some kinds of lectins to do blood typing. We take a tiny bit of, of certain lectins that aren't that common in food and your blood will coagulate quickly if you're type A versus type B. So these have strong biological effects and they're common in nightshade vegetables and whole grains. And those are the biggest sources of problems for people. It's like, man, I ate this raw, raw bell peppers in my salad and I was ravenous afterwards and I totally couldn't fast that day. But I know bell peppers have some kind of nutrient I read about and no one talked about the anti-nutrient. So you go down that path and potatoes, tomatoes, things like that. Turns out I am sensitive to those. And for my entire life, I had pain in my back and my knees. And when I finally figured out that I needed to avoid most of the, the nightshade vegetables, I don't have pain anymore. And my son has those genes. My daughter doesn't. She can eat a potato. She's fine. My son eats it. He says, daddy, can you rub my neck? For the next week, he has a sore neck. That's right. just, it's how it is. And it's okay. These suspect foods may be okay for you, but there's something to really pay attention to in the context of cravings. The next one would be histamine. Leftovers, particularly leftover pork, soy, and fish. You eat those and you get like brain fog and a sudden sugar craving afterwards. It's because the beginnings of bacterial breakdown of certain types of amino acids make histamine, which is exactly what it sounds like. You know, histamine, you take antihistamines when you have allergies. So they cause a swelling and they also are a neurotransmitter that's going to drive hunger. So you got to watch out for those. Those might be driving your cravings. Then we have phytates, these whole, whole food diets generally are saying, oh, there's nutrients in the outer husk, therefore you should eat it. But they forget there's anti-nutrients and toxins in the outer husk, but they don't pay attention to those because it's like a, a one-sided uh, viewpoint. So those toxins block your ability to absorb minerals. If you can't absorb minerals because you're eating whole grains and things like legumes and beans, which don't work for many people, but might work for you depending on your heritage, then what you end up with is you don't have enough minerals in your body. And 
All of these things I just talked about, oh, and plus omega-6 seed oils, sunflower, corn, soy, those have been no-nos for 10 plus years. I've minimized my personal dose of those forever. And the difference is profound over time because it changes the composition of your cells themselves to be more resilient. And what you end up with by avoiding those is you're less hungry. So the fried calamari, well, calamari is better than French fries, right? No, but it was still fried in bad oils. It's going to cause cravings and brain fog and inflammation more than smoking a cigarette, actually. <laughs> so you got to watch out for that. And when you say, okay, I'm going to eat less of these things, or I'm going to find the ones that are food triggers for me, then you can eat a meal. And when you're done, you don't want a snack. And then it's time for the next meal. And you go, I guess I could eat. Or you right. say, hmm, uh, I, uh, or I'm going to die if I don't eat. And that's the difference in composing your food the right way. That's great. Let's, let's talk a little bit. Let's get back into fasting and talk about some of the flexibility in fasting as you were, as you were mentioning before. And this is one of the things that I really appreciated because as you know, as you mentioned, uh, you know, for context, I have three children. Uh, one of them is in high school, but right now he's doing online schooling. I've chosen to homeschool my two young Padawans. I have a book coming out, you know, like I have a podcast to run and I have, I'm a, I'm a wife and there's like, you know, you know all, all the, all the things, right. So a lot of things uh, together at once. And for me, I have found, and again, this may relate back to being female, but I am really happy doing most days I can, you know, engage in a TRE or a time restricted eating, like a 12, 12, a 10, 14, yeah. 16, eight, maybe the week before my period, forget it. It's always 12, 12 that week. Right. Like there's no, like we're never going to do a more restricted, um, schedule, uh, during that week. But and this is a, you know, coming back to this idea of permission and being gentle, what are some of the foundations that you can share with our listeners in terms of helping making the fast work? So, um, because one of the things that I know about just my, what women report to me, my experience as a clinician is if you make something too aggressive, um, you know, maybe someone like you might do it over and over and over again, no, because you have, I'm lazy or, or I, maybe I not, <laughs> or no, maybe no, not. no human will, even the tough guys, right. they're probably eating Twinkies. They're just acting tough. They're, right. So it's the, it's the adherence to the behavior over time. It's the aggregate, yeah. as you were saying, like I've eliminated nut butters or nut seeds or whatever you just said. And over the time, over the long period, over the long haul, that's where I've really noticed the big change. Yeah. And even, and sometimes I'll tell people like, just put your fork down in between your meal and people yeah. will get angry at like, no, give me the, give me like the thing, like what's the thing. Um, but I often have found that it's the easy things that really just very gently slip into the everyday life and cadence of man or woman that really makes the behavior and therefore the prognosis much better because they're going to come back to that behavior. So what are some of the easier, um, and I don't want to use the word easy because I don't want it to denote, to denote that it's not powerful, but some of this maybe simple is a better way, a word, like well, simpler I, ways. I'm going to stick with fast. easy and let's just be really blunt here. Do you know what a hair shirt is? A hair shirt? No, I do not. Okay. There's a certain sect of, of Catholicism from the 15th century or something. And these guys were such sinners and suffering was a virtue. So they would weave themselves shirts out of human hair so they would be extra itchy. And they would wear these to cause extra suffering because it was of merit. Okay. 
you can do hair shirt fasting if you want to. You can cause an increase in suffering. Or you can say, actually, I wanted my fast to be easy. I did not want to experience pain because I'm showing up for my family today. And on Saturday, when I'm going to send the kids off for the day, I might want to do some personal development work and go deep on my hunger and my cravings and journal and all that. And by the way, I'm doing that with 10,000 plus people as part of, of introducing this book. Um, I'm teaching them how to do that part of it. But it is mean-spirited to do that to yourself. So you want it to be easy. In fact, I'm going to just say this. Most people, if you could get a full night's sleep in 10 minutes when you wanted to, would you do that? Yes, that's lazy, right? Would you like to meditate for one minute a day instead of two hours a day and get the same results? Yes. So yes, we want it to be easy. We want it to be lazy. And the reason we do that is it leaves more room for the fourth F word, friend. We can be of more service to our community when we're full of energy. And we don't spend all of our time getting into our energy. So I'm going to just be in defense of easy. And people who think easy things can't be powerful, that's just programming. In fact, the most powerful things there are are easy because they're easy to do. And if they're really hard to do and they're powerful, no one's going to do them. Right? Right. Would you invest a dollar to make $100? Or do you want to invest $10 to make $100? I want to invest a dollar and make $100. It's okay. And this is, this is at the core of being kind to yourself. Just think, yeah. I'm spiritually lazy and it's not bad. It's good because it means that you want to have more capacity for things that are more important than doing work. Right. So that'll get off my soapbox there a little bit, but how do we make fasting easy or at least more palatable if we want to say it that way? There's three fasting hacks that I outline in, in fast this way. And some of the hair shirt fasters out there who say, well, the mice only had water, therefore humans only have water. I'm like, well, mice aren't that smart and they don't have espresso machines. So <laughs> we don't have to do what the mice did because the mice also didn't have a job. They don't have Zoom. They don't have two kids hanging off each arm while they're trying to juggle their life. So it's ridiculous to mimic that because that's all we know works because we saw it in a study. No, I got a million plus people who've done bulletproof stuff with intermittent fasting. It, it works. And we could argue about why it works. There's very clear evidence that you can eat some things during a fast and maintain autophagy, which is one of the magic powers of fasting. It means self-eating. And this is when your cells go in and clean up cellular junk or even cells that need to be cleaned up themselves. And when you, do, when you get your body to do this, magic happens. And you can have something besides water and make it happen. So our job is to say, how do I get the benefits of autophagy and the metabolic and cognitive benefits, energetic benefits of fasting while feeling the least amount of hunger and suffering and distraction possible? That's what we do during the week. And when we want to go deep on ourselves and our personal development work, we do something different. So here's the three hacks. First one, black coffee. And the reason black coffee works is because coffee is next to God. Okay, just kidding. I mean, it's because <laughs> the amount of caffeine in two small cups of coffee doubles ketone production. And ketones go up, even if you only intermittent fast three times a week, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, they will go up day over day over day, even if you have carbs on the days when you're not, when you're not uh, doing intermittent fasting. And when ketones go up, it turns down ghrelin, which is a hunger hormone, and it turns up CCK, which is the Calvin Klein hormone, uh, also known <laughs> as the satiety hormone. <laughs> oh, I'm taking that. I love that. <laughs> well, it's just It took me like two years to remember how to say that right. Uh, so, but yeah, that, that's one that makes you feel full. So if a cup of coffee actually makes you feel a bit more full, a bit less hungry, that was kind of a win. Right. And if, if people are saying, well, I can't handle coffee, 
Okay, I'm not here to, to tell you guys to use Bulletproof coffee. My life will not change if every listener does or doesn't buy Bulletproof at this point. But the reason I make the beans the way I do, especially in North America, coffee is not tested for mold toxins that happen as a result of fermentation. And coffee that makes you feel like you want to punch people and jittery and need sugar in it, something's wrong in the coffee production process. And I lab test my beans. You can find other beans that are clean by virtue of luck. And I talk on my blog, you know, single, a single estate washed, blah, blah, blah. But basically if you drink coffee and it makes you want to punch people, get different coffee. <laughs> so black coffee is important. The next hack, like the next level up from there is one I'm well known for. It's Bulletproof Coffee. People say, but Dave, there's calories in Bulletproof Coffee. How could you do this? And well, here's how. Bulletproof Coffee is black coffee, mold tested, grass-fed butter. You can go for anywhere from half a teaspoon or a teaspoon up to a couple tablespoons if you need that to get through the day. And C8 MCT oil. The Bulletproof brand is Brain Octane Oil and I made MCT oil famous. And what this combination of things does is really incredible for hunger. When you blend the butter into the coffee, it changes the structure of the water and your body, when you normally drink a glass of water, it puts the water near your cell membranes and it heats it up, which makes the water change its level of viscosity or thickness. And that's what allows you to fold proteins and make ATP. When you blend a tiny bit of butter in coffee, according to new research at the University of Washington, it changes the structure of the water. You drink it and you can immediately use that water to burn fat, to burn carbs, to make your metabolism work better. It's why the Tibetans drink yak butter tea, which is the spiritual godfather of bulletproof coffee. So the MCT oil that's in there it quadruples ketone production compared to normal street grade MCT oil or coconut oil. So now all of a sudden, like, wait a minute, I did this in the morning. I got maybe 50 calories, maybe 150 calories, depends on how much of that stuff you put in there. Therefore, I broke my fast, except you had no protein. And we know if you don't eat any protein or amino acids, your autophagy stays on and your insulin levels did not rise at all. In a, in a study of 300 different breakfasts, Looking at insulin response, the number one breakfast, if you want to call it breakfast, was Bulletproof Coffee because it doesn't change insulin at all for people. So now what you've done is you've given your body energy. You've told your body, you know what? You live in a world where there's enough energy, but there's no protein right now and there's no carbohydrate right now. So you got to go in and do autophagy and you've got to regulate your metabolism and you can only burn fat. And telling your body there's, you burn fat or nothing, guess what it gets better at doing? It gets better at burning fat. But that morning you have the the focus and power and energy of someone who's done a fasting in a cave for two days after you get through the second day of hunger, the third day you feel amazing. Well, you just did that the first morning. And that's why Bulletproof Coffee has been a, a phenomena for 10 years. And so many celebrities, so many people have talked about it. I didn't pay them. <laughs> they just talked about it because they liked how they felt. Like I, I'm fortunate. I found something that really works. And this is during fasting. It works. I've talked to several of the top experts in the world on fasting and they say, yeah, Autophagy continues if you have that, but just don't eat protein. And then the third fasting hack that is missing from the entire world of fasting and altogether, no one's written about this yet. No one's even blogged about it, is prebiotic fiber. And this is not Metamucil. It's not the, the thick fiber. This is fiber that dissolves in water or coffee or tea. It has carbohydrates that cannot be digested by your body. It goes in and it feeds your good gut bacteria. It is shown to make you live longer. It absorbs toxins. And when you put this in, I prefer it in coffee because it dissolves a little bit better, but it, it's, it has no flavor. Like you can put it in almost anything. You do this and it suppresses hunger and it makes you live longer. 
and no insulin rise. <laughs> it actually gets turned into short chain fatty acids that become ketones. And you're saying, wait, but I had something besides water. That wasn't fasting. No, fasting means to go without. And you can fast from carbs. It's called keto. You can fast from junk food. It's called eating healthier. You can fast from alcohol. It's called abstinence. You can fast from sex. It's another form of abstinence. <laughs> you can fast from all sorts of things. You can fast from hate, which is the, later in the book, I talk about that. So it's just choosing to go without something that you think you need. And when you put prebiotic fiber into Bulletproof Coffee, I don't know anyone who can drink that in the morning and not just like, I'm so full. I don't want a donut. Right? Right. And your body stayed in autophagy. You helped your healthy gut bacteria. It actually works. And how can I say it works? I don't know. People lost a million pounds doing this on the Bulletproof Diet. And it, just, it makes some fasting people mad. It makes other fasting people go, oh, that, that's interesting. Maybe more people will fast if we do it in this kind of a way. What prebiotic fiber means, because I know you have a lot of clinicians who listen to your show. Um, I make one for Bulletproof called Bulletproof Inner Fuel. You can look in the ingredient deck on that online if you want. But it's primarily acacia gum which is the sap of a tree that is shown in many clinical studies to feed good gut bacteria that are more common in thin people. It also contains larch arabinogalactin, which is another tree sap, and guar gum, which is broken down with enzymes. And all of these are shown in independent studies to feed the good guys. So now instead of stressing your microbiome, you're actually feeding your microbiome during a fast. And that's different. Some You want to try it with and without the prebiotics. Sometimes the reason a fast works is because it suppresses bad gut bacteria and all together. Other people, like I had way less hunger and I lost weight and I like my metabolism. Everything is regular. I didn't get the constipation. That's a problem with some of these programs. And other people, like that's not the hack I use. But prebiotic fiber is really seriously a game changer. So I wanted to write about that in fast this way and just teach people you can try a water-only fast. You can try water with a pinch of salt. You can try black coffee. You can try bulletproof coffee. And you can try any of those or none of those combined with prebiotic fiber. And all of those are safe when you're fasting. And none of them are necessary, but all of them allow you to have an easier fast. Yes, yes. And what's wonderful about prebiotic fiber, just adding on to what you were saying, when you have those short-chain fatty acids, you now, and one of them in particular, butyrate, what we know about yes. butyrate is that the gut hyperpermeability, if you are someone who has a predisposition to gut dysbiosis or diet, you know, like bloating and distension and what have you after a meal, this butyrate is going to go and heal up some of the sort of patchiness, uh, if you will, in the lining of the gut. And it also really helps with sleep, which is such a big thing. And this is you nailed it. You're, re you're really well educated on butyrate. Um, it, there are several studies that show eating butyrate does one thing and making it inside the body does another thing. And they're all good things. So when you put the grass fed butter in the coffee, you're getting butyrate if it's cultured butter. So that is shown to reduce brain inflammation and gut inflammation. And then you're like, oh, I fed the good guys. Right. And I actually had butyrate formed by the good guys. Now you got a double dose of it and leaky gut can start to heal the sleep effects. And what isn't well known, but I'm guessing, you know, do you know what butyrate does for ketone production? Well, it amps it up because it's an SCFA. Yeah, it is indeed. In fact, it's more powerful even than brain octane oil, which is one of the most powerful inducers of ketones or beta hydroxybutyrate. So on a day when I'm fasting, I have no problem taking a handful of butyrate capsules. They smell like socks. They're not very nice. <laughs> but you just swallow those and yeah. it amps up your ketones and all of a sudden the fast became easy. Right. And that's cool, right? Like, like it's okay to be like, yeah, I, I, didn't want, I didn't want to work hard today. I just wanted results. 
Right. And I want to sleep. I want to sleep. Right. And so many yeah. women, men and women, we, we have, and you talk about this in the book around, we know that we should be getting, you know, eight to nine hours of sleep. Most of us are getting less than that. And it is not only the, the quantity of time that we sacrifice, but it is the quality of the sleep. So let's touch a little bit on how fasting can reset our circadian clock, particularly when you, um, you know, cut the the meal off, let's say earlier off in the evening so that you have a chance to empty out the stomach. What is happening, you know, neurologically, physiologically to our, you know, peripheral and central oscillate, like our clocks cool. in, our, in our bodies. Yeah. I love this question. And when you look at, at the circadian rhythm in the body, what really is the basis of this is going back to those mitochondria we talked about before. Two billion years ago, um, well, we like to say we harness the mitochondria to be our power plants, but the mitochondria, like we harness these dumb Petri dishes floating around and we're still in charge. So <laughs> right. I, I think the mitochondria are driving um, most of the time, at least when we're not conscious. And what they would do is at night, they would drop down, it would get cold. There's no sun. They drop down in the ocean where they were floating and they would rest and recover. And then the sun would start to come up and they would sense the light, the color of the light. They would sense a temperature change. They would sense the angle of the light. And they would slowly rise to the surface where it was warmer, where they could feed. And the most food was available when the sun was right overhead and for the couple hours after that. And then the food becomes less available. It starts to cool down. The light changes color and the angle of the light changes. Sunrise and sunset are red and yellow versus bright blue during the day. And then they'd go to sleep where there was no food and there was darkness. And this is still how we're supposed to live. And when we do that, that light is the strongest signal of our um, of our mitochondrial timing. And it goes through these cells in our eyes called the melanopsin sensors. About 5% of your light receptors aren't for vision, they're for timing. And this is why my company True Dark exists. We make patented glasses that block all of the spectrums, not just blue. Blue blockers aren't that effective at night. They only block one of the three kinds of light you need to block. Uh, you put those on and like, man, I gotta go to sleep and they just knock you out. <laughs> so the, the sleep glasses make a big difference or you could do what I also do. Dim your TVs and monitors at night, put dimmer switches on. I have red lights in most of the rooms in the house. So we look like we're either a submarine or a house of ill repute or vampires. Um, <laughs> I'm good with all of the above. As long as my children go to sleep on time and sleep all night long and they do. <laughs> that means I can sleep all night long as well. And um, whether using the glasses or not, light's most important. But the second most important signal is food and the third is temperature. So how can we do this? In one of the chapters in Fastest Way, I actually describe how to become a morning person or how to become a night person. My natural bedtime is 2.04 a.m. I've tracked my sleep for 15 years using technology and starting at about age 10, that was my bedtime. I just wanted to read, stay up. I'm a night owl. 15% of people are night owls. It sucks because I dropped my son off at school at 7.15 for the bus, which is unnatural and mean for children, by the way. If you're running a school and you get to say later, later school start times equals happier, thinner kids. Anyway, different subject. So I want to be able to wake up and not be a zombie. So I used light plus food timing to change my circadian biology. And I also use it to stop jet lag. So what you do... If you want to move your sleep time so you go to bed earlier, you wake up and you have breakfast and you put bright lights on as soon as you wake up, right? And then you stop eating at noon or at two o'clock. You're still intermittent fasting, but you're fasting in the evening instead of the morning. You do that for about two weeks. And then 
at nighttime, you put on the glasses, you dim the lights way early, like at six o'clock. And then the body's like, wait a minute, I just got a signal because I can still see, but I can't see any colors that tell me it's daytime. It must be dark outside. So then it starts shifting your sleep hormones. I go to bed at 1030 naturally every night without having to force myself to go to bed. This has been an impossibility for me for decades. And it's actually more functional given the schedule that I live. Even though when I write my books, I stay up until two in the morning. I just have red glasses on and I look like a complete crazy person because my creative hours are late at night. So you can do that. And if you go to bed at eight and you can't stay up late enough, you do the opposite. You eat later in the day, you have dinner and you have brighter lights on at night. And it only takes a couple of weeks to shift, but light alone won't do it. And food alone won't do it. It's the combination of the most important signal is light. The second most is food. And if you want to really win, you chill your room out at night. So it's cold. And then the mitochondria are like, yeah, we remember this cold ocean. It's dark. There's no food. It must be nighttime, right? That's how it works. I love that. I uh, I do something similar. I always make sure that I'm cold in the morning. So I will, I live in Toronto right now. It's winter time. So I go outside with my little espresso in the morning and I wait until I start shivering. So I just feel it kind of in my nice. thoracic cavity first. And then I sort of, when, when I get the shivering to my hands and I go back inside. So I, I love so that. And you're getting natural light in the morning when you do that too. Although in Canada, right. there isn't that much natural light in winter. I'm in, I'm not, in British Columbia, same thing. <laughs> yeah, not not right now. So I get, I have a little red light uh, therapy thing that I, that cool. I, do as well. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about exercise because this is maybe one of the biggest questions that I get. Can you fast when you exercise? When are you supposed to eat if you're exercising and you're fasting? How does it all work together? And I I want to talk maybe before we even jump into that, just the value of you know, as, as a person who is in, you know, weight training, maybe they're doing high intensity intervals, maybe they're doing some steady state cardio and they're mixing that up with yoga and Pilates and and more functional moves. What is the value in your opinion of being able to switch between being lipolytic and glycolytic? So what uh, the, the value of being metabolically uh, flexible and how can that confer advantages to our training, be it cardiovascular or, or resistance? Uh, fasting at the end of the day is about becoming metabolically flexible. And if you only eat fat and protein and you fast, you're not metabolically flexible. You'll become insulin resistant. A healthy, strong person who has enough energy to handle whatever life brings their way can instantly and efficiently handle glucose, instantly and efficiently handle fat. And the body is just primed to do either one. And it does it without effort, without strain, without hunger. And those brief periods going without matter. The science is in on this. And when I first started making these recommendations, it was more hypothetical. Like it must work this way because of what we know, but it might not. And now there's enough science out there for me to really double down on this advice. If you want to get the most results from your exercise, and another word for that is lazy or easy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Then uh, what you do is at the end of your intermittent fast, you exercise. And you're saying, but wait a minute, I thought I would die if I didn't eat all these meals. And everyone knows you have to have like a pre-workout sugar bomb. And, And it turns out you don't, but you can if you want to. So the reason you do this is that fasting is a hormetic stressor. And that means, you know, if it doesn't kill me, it makes me stronger. And since it does that already, Now you're saying, I'm going to also work out at the same time, but that's going to put even more stress on the body. It is, but it's a brief workout. And then when you're done, when the body's going, I'm really hungry right now, then you eat and you eat some protein. And that's what allows the body to to grow. And there's something I call 
tripling down on mTOR, which is definitely geeky. You said you wanted to geek out. Let's do this. So mTOR is an anabolic uh, action or signal in the body that says basically build muscle. So what you want to be able to do is have low mTOR most of the time when you're not in muscle building mode because high levels of mTOR all the time equals aging and cancer. But if you have chronically low mTOR, like say you're on a plant-based low protein diet and things like that, then what you end up with is vegan sized pants. You have stick legs, stick arms, and you have an unhealthy biology. So what we do with mTOR is we suppress it. It's like a spring. You push it down, you push it down, you push it down. And then when you let it come surging forward, the higher you push it down, the higher the surge happens. And when the surge happens, you put on muscle like no one's business. In fact, you put on more muscle and less exercise. So what are the three things we know that push mTOR down? One of them is fasting. One of them is coffee. And one of them is exercise. So what if, just going to say, you woke up, you were fasted, you had a cup of coffee, you waited a few hours, still fasted, exercise. Now you've tripled down to compress that spring. And when you're done exercising, you have your grass-fed meat, you have some collagen, you have protein, you even have carbs, which raise insulin-like growth factor. You don't need sugar, any carbs will help. And all of a sudden, like, wow, I got leaner, I got firmer. You're not gonna get bulky from doing this if you're a woman, um, unless you're taking a lot of extra testosterone, that's not an issue. Um, if you're a guy, you'll probably put on muscles unless you're low testosterone, in which case you'll still be healthier, but you won't you know, put on two pounds of muscle in a day. But what happens if you do that? you got way more out of your exercise than if you didn't. And if you have carbs afterwards, which you should some of the time, but not always, then you are going to be metabolically flexible. You can be glycolytic. But when you're doing that workout, your body's like, I, oh, I was already lipolytic because I was in a fasted state because I had MCT oil present. I only had fat to burn. I'm gonna have to get really good at burning fat because now my, my amount of energy expended went up a lot. So that brief peak is really important. And in Fastest Way, I talk about the slope of the curve, uh, which is for all of the biohacks I've ever written about. You, you talked about going outside and getting cold. Well, brief, extreme exposures to things cause way more biological change than slow changes. So you get on, on that steady state cardio, you don't actually get very many benefits. In fact, two studies on the University of Colorado, two 20-second intervals over seven minutes of slow movement cause more cardiovascular benefits than 45 minutes of steady state cardio. And you don't sweat when you do it that way. Right. <laughs> so like, what if at the end of your fast, like I'm going to save my 45 minutes, I'll go play with my kids, but then I'm going to sprint for 20 seconds, walk real slow, sprint for 20 seconds, walk real slow, and then go have some tacos without corn. And like, okay, you, you do that. You're just going to like your life better. Like you got, you got more return on that investment. So it's so easy, especially for me. I live upstairs from a million dollars of upgrade labs equipment. I could spend eight hours a day biohacking if I wanted to, but I only have a half hour or 45 minutes. What's going to give me the most return on the investment of my energy. I want people to think about that for their breakfast, for their exercise, for their meditation, for everything. And what works best is Tell the body, oh my God, it might be a snowstorm out there. Do it for five minutes while you're also getting your light or however long it takes you. That worked better than turning on the AC and dropping the temperature a little bit all day long. You got more change in less time and then you went about your day without worrying about it. I want more of that in the world. Yes, and I, I, I love that you brought this up. That is one of my biggest takeaways over my, you know, 
tenure, you know, whatever word you want to use in terms of fasting and keto. I used to think that IGF one was the absolute worst thing that mTOR was, you know, I was like, I am, you know, I am following the church of Dr. Walter Longo and it is net, I am never going to have these things high, but I agree <laughs> with you. And I love him. And like, I'm not, no disrespect, like I'm not trying yeah, to throw Walter shade Longo's at him. Godfather of fasting. He's, he's a great guy. Yes. The, not throwing shade at him in any way, yeah. but what I'm trying to uh, exemplify here is that, and to, to back up your point and to add to it, I think that there is value in having these growth pathways on some of the time. So I love that you talked about carbs because I think that there's so many, you know, I love keto and I cycle keto, as you said, but I think that there has been a real fear around consuming carbohydrates, especially with women. We are so, and maybe it's just the societal, and I can't speak for men because I've never been a man and I don't know what it's like, but I know as a woman, there is a lot of societal pressure to look a certain way. We look at these Hollywood actors, which you talk about in the book who are basically dehydrated, glycogen (laughs) depleted, you know, you know, they take it, you know, and Hugh Jackman has talked about this openly for his, whether it was like, I think it was Wolverine or it must've been Wolverine. He was talking about the day before, you know, some shirtless scene or a couple days before he would drink an absurd amount of water and then completely switch it off for, and I did that as well. When I was in figure, when I was competing in figure Uh competitions, that's how you get the subcutaneous water, out of your body, but that's completely not what a human should look. It's not sustainable um, in any way. So I love that you brought that up and I love that you, you weren't necessarily, I, I know that you do the Bulletproof coffee, the bullet the Bulletproof diet has um, some ketogenic elements to it, but it, there's also a lot of flexibility in your thinking in the it's application. Cyclical, right. Yes. Yes. That you go. And for a woman, this is very important. I talk about this. It's a, you cannot be as a woman in ketosis all the time that it's just, as you said, it's going to destroy your, uh, your menstrual cycle. It's going to destroy your moods. It's going to destroy your sleep cycle. All the things that, that we've been discussing, um, today, uh, thus far. So can, can I share a little story about that? Um, that, that, you know, how do you get that lean look? Absolutely. Well, <laughs> As a fat computer hacker, 300 pounds, I have stretch marks. I had stretch marks when I was 16 and I have a lot of stretch marks, (laughs) but I have abs. And Men's Health decided that they were going to do a feature on the Bulletproof Diet. Actually, that was on Upgrade Labs. So they come up to my house and said, we're going to do a photo shoot. But they didn't say a shirt's off photo shoot, right? So I am not a Hollywood actor. I'm, uh, you know, I'm a biohacker. I'm a dad, right? And then the photographer's like, all right, take off your shirt. And I'm like, come on, like you're supposed to tell me so I could take diuretics and get a spray tan like everyone else. Like I've seen your covers. I know exactly all the tricks. Um, and I'm like, I didn't do any of that. And he's like, let's just try it. And if, you know, oh, I'm like, okay. So I just took my shirt off. And the most unlikely thing that would ever happen uh, to me as a fat computer hacker in the back of my mind is to ever be in a magazine with my shirt off. Like I finally got over like body image issues just by going to Burning Man and having, you know, very little on for a while. Like, okay, I'm, I'm done with any kind of body shame, but still, okay. That's a high stress situation. And if you look in whatever that episode was, you can see the stretch marks in the picture, but you can see the abs, but that was just a normal day, right? Because if you're eating the right way, you get reasonably lean, but I was not ripped and shredded like Hugh Jackman, right? Because he does all that stuff. And I want every woman listening to this to know when you go to Instagram, you see the, the, the really tight six pack and all that stuff. That is the look of a starved woman. And the healthy look is the Indian goddess look. 
where there's a little bit of softness there. There's curves where there should be curves, right? And one of the best things that's ever happened for women's health, at least in the last 10 years, is the focus on the booty. The bigger your quads, the bigger your glutes, the bigger your brain and the more synapses you'll have. So it's okay to have junk in your trunk. In fact, do some squats already. It'll actually make your brain work better. It'll make you much healthier. It'll make you less frail as you age. And you can do this at almost any age. You don't have to do the crazy leg lift, whatever, you know, off the charts, really simple air squats. Do 30 of those a day and look at the shelf you build over the course of a month or two of that at any age. And if you do it at the end of your squat before you eat, literally you'll live longer from it and you'll look healthier and don't focus on the abs, focus on the curves and you will love how you feel. And for guys, we should also be doing squats too, for the exact same reason, cognitively. And we're not going to develop feminine curves from that. We'll just get more of a sculpted shape because we have more testosterone. But Amen. that's so important versus the skinny leg thing. That is so bad for all people. Amen. Amen. I love what you're saying here. And, you know, to add on to that, I love, I, I look at this from a brain perspective as well. Any of your appendicular muscles. So when we think about the shoulders and the butt, these are like the muscles that are closest to the spine, but they're sort of on the side of the body. The more that you can develop those, the more you're actually going to keep your brain big yeah. and thick and juicy. And the BDNF, like you're, like, I know you're referring to that when you're talking about the, um, muscle building, the brain derived neurotrophic factor. This is actually, this is the organ that you want big, thick and juicy is the brain, right? And, yes. and the glutes are going to confer that as well. So I love, oh, thank you so much for saying that. And there's of course. so many women, I, I hope that are like, okay, I can just finally give up the thigh gap. Like my body, I'm telling my, my thighs are never going to touch. Never. I'm not built can, like can that. Can I be like super rude, Stephanie? If you want a thigh gap, you spread your legs a little bit. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. And generally men and women enjoy that kind of behavior anyway. Which it's is just okay. F, which is the F we were talking yeah, about. Right? But like to have them spread when they're not spread isn't even natural. Like, come right. on here. Right. Right. <laughs> so. So did you mention that you are going to be teaching? Uh, did I hear that correctly? That you are going to be teaching? Tell me, tell us a little bit about that. When people pick up their copy of Fast This Way, I promise it's worth your time to read the book by itself. But I've decided, like, I used to be a teacher at the University of California. I love teaching and I've, I've written seven big books and I've never taught one of them. So I, I realized I've been letting my, my audience down for free. When you buy the book, go to fastthisway.com, post your receipt, and I'll sign you up. You get three phone calls with me where you know it's a group Q&A, daily practices with more than 10,000 other people fasting at the same time. We're not going to fast every day. I'm going to teach you the fasting hacks, different schedules, but the final two days, I'm going to lead you through a spiritual fast. And you can fast for 24 hours. You can fast for 48 hours. You can only do 12 if that's what's right for you at the time. But we're going to use fasting as a working fast to show you how to make it easy, to show you how to own your cravings so you know what's causing them. And then I'm going to teach you the most important stuff in the book. And then the spiritual fast, there's some new techniques that I didn't even put in the book around mindfulness to do in a spiritual fast. And I'm bringing in Dr. Mark Atkinson, who leads the coaching program I developed. We have more than a thousand coaches out there and we're going to go deep on the mindful stuff. And it's free. It's a gift. All I want you to do is read the book because fasting is going to make you a nicer human being, more able to access your biological drive to be kind to everyone. So we're going to make the world a better place and we're going to do it through learning how to own our own biology by practicing intermittent fasting together. And it starts at the end of January. All you got to do is go to fastthisway.com. I'll show up and I'm going to show up fully and teach you everything that I know and answer all of your questions. 
And isn't that the way to change the world? You change yourself first, you get comfortable in your own skin, you know how to appropriately respond to your internal environment, the external environment around you. And that's how we can make global change. So I, I, I just want to thank, this has been such a fun, robust discussion. I've had such a good time with you. You are so funny, so well versed on the literature and the science behind fasting, but also I'm so happy to, um, and this, this book is, is going to change a lot of the way that we look at fasting and its applications. So thank you so much for your time today. Well, Stephanie, thanks for being a good interviewer. I have been on probably a thousand podcasts that aren't mine. And I've interviewed almost a thousand people myself. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. I received that. All right. If you have made it this far in the podcast, I always like to leave little special love notes for you. So first of all, thank you for making it to the end of the podcast. I know completion is a big core value for you as it is for me. And if you are at all thinking about, you know, we're in the new year right now, if you're thinking about weight loss, if you're thinking about clearing up brain fog, reducing inflammation, and just making 2021 the best year ever, I would love to invite you to join us with the Betty Body Challenge. As you may be well aware or not, I have a book coming out next month. Oh my God, it's next month. I cannot believe it. Uh, February 16th, the Betty Body is going to be hitting... Amazon and your local uh, online uh, retailers. And what I am doing is we are holding a Betty Body Challenge. So I have designed meal plans and I have designed fitness routines and we are coaching every week. So if you are interested in that, just head over to hellobetty.com. Club. That's H-E-L-L-O-B-E-T-T-Y dot C-L-U-B. And the first thing that you will see on that page is a link to join the Betty Body Challenge. So I hope that you'll join us. And the programs that I designed there are actually designed to last you well beyond the challenge. They are uh, robust, complete, and I'm really, really proud of them. So I'd love to see you there if you're interested. And if not, that's okay. I love you too. I hope that you will support the book when it comes out. And I will see you next week. All right. I hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. And now for the obligatory legal disclaimer. This podcast is for information purposes only and is not intended to replace primary health care, such as medicine or chiropractic. It is not intended to replace the advice, diagnosis, treatment, or programs of care from your primary health care provider. In listening to this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship formed, and the use and implementation of the topics and strategies discussed are at the sole discretion of the user. 